0: Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. Tonight is a very special Halloween episode of Send Me to Sleep. I'll be reading The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. The contents of this story may disturb some listeners, so if you're not prepared for a spooky episode, we'll be resuming our usual stories this Wednesday. So let your eyes fall heavy, and your breath soften, as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. During the whole of a dull, dark and soundless day in the autumn of the year, when the clouds hung oppressively low in the heavens, I had been passing alone, on horseback, through a singularly dreary track of country, and at length found myself, as the shades of the evening drew on, within view, Of the melancholy house of Usher. I know not how it was, but with the first glimpse of the building, a sense of insufferable gloom pervaded my spirit. I say insufferable, for the feeling was unrelieved by any of the half pleasurable, because poetic, sentiment with which the mind usually receives even the sternest natural images of the desolate or terrible. I looked upon the scene before me, upon the mere house and the simple landscape, features of the domain, upon the bleak walls, upon the vacant eye-like windows, upon a few rank sedges, and upon a few white trunks of decaying trees, with an utter depression of soul which I can compare to no earthly sensation more properly than to the afterdream of the reveler upon opium, the bitter lapse into everyday life the heinous drooping off of the veil. There was an ickiness, a sinking, a sickening of the heart, an unredeeming dreariness of thought, which no goading of the imagination could torture into aught of the sublime. What was it? I paused to think. What was it that so unnerved me in the contemplation of the House of Usher? It was a mystery all-insoluble, nor could I grapple with the shadowy fancies that crowded upon me as I pondered. I was forced to fall back on the unsatisfactory conclusion that while, beyond doubt, There are combinations of very simple, natural objects which have the power of thus affecting us. Still the analysis of this power lies among consideration beyond our depth. It was possible, I reflected, that a mere different arrangement of the particulars of the scene of the details of the picture would be sufficient to modify, or perhaps to annihilate its capacity for sorrowful impression, and, acting upon this idea, I reined my horse to the precipitous brink of a black and lurid tarn that lay unruffled in lustre by the dwelling, and gazed down but with a shudder even more thrilling than before upon the remodelled and inverted images of the grey sedge and the ghastly tree stems and the vacant and eye-like windows. Nevertheless, in this mansion of gloom, I now proposed myself a sojourn of some weeks, Its proprietor, Roderick Usher, had been one of my boon companions in boyhood, but many years had elapsed since our last meeting. A letter, however, had lately reached me in a distant part of the country, a letter from him which, in his wildly importunate nature, had admitted of no other than a personal reply. The MS gave evidence of nervous agitation. The writer spoke of acute bodily illness, of a mental disorder which oppressed him, and of an earnest desire to see me at his best, and indeed his only personal friend with a view of attempting, by the cheerfulness of my society, some alleviation of his malady. It was the manner in which all this, and much more, was said. It was the apparent heart that went with his request, which allowed me no room for hesitation, and I accordingly obeyed forthwith what I still consider a very singular summons. Although, as boys, we had been even intimate associates, yet I really knew little of my friend. His reserve had been always excessive and habitual. I was aware, however, that his very ancient family had been noted time out of mind, for a peculiar sensibility of temperament displaying itself through long ages, in many works of exalted art, and manifested of late in repeated deeds of munificent yet unobtrusive charity, as well as in a passionate devotion to the intricacies perhaps even more than to the orthodox and easily recognisable beauties of musical science. I had learned, too, the very remarkable fact that the stem of the Usher race, all time honoured as it was, had put forth, at no period, any enduring branch. In other words, that the entire family lay in the direct line of descent, and had always, with very trifling and very temporary variation, so lain. It was this deficiency, I considered, while running over in thought, the perfect keeping of the character of the premises. With the accredited character of the people. And while speculating upon the possible influence which the one, in the long lapse of centuries, might have exercised upon the other, it was this deficiency, perhaps, of collateral issue, and the consequent undeviating transmission from sire to son of the patrimony with the name, which had at length so identified the two as to merge the original title of the estate in the quaint and equivocal appellation of the House of Usher, an appellation which seemed to include, in the minds of the peasantry who used it, both the family and the family mansion. I have said that the sole effect of my somewhat childish experiment, that of looking down within the tarn, had been to deepen the first singular impression. There can be no doubt that the consciousness of the rapid increase of my superstition for why should I not so term it, served mainly to accelerate the increase itself. Such, I have long known, is the paradoxical law of all sentiments having terror as a basis. And it might have been for this reason only that, when I again uplifted my eyes to the house itself, from its image in the pool, there grew in my mind a strange fancy, a fancy so ridiculous, indeed, that I but mention it to show the vivid force of the sensations which oppressed me. I had so worked upon my imagination as to really believe that about the whole mansion and domain There hung an atmosphere peculiar to themselves and their immediate vicinity, an atmosphere which had no affinity with the air of heaven, but which had reeked up from the decaying trees and the grey wall and the silent tarn, a pestilent and mystic vapour, dull, sluggish, Faintly discernible and leaden-hued. Shaking off from my spirit what must have been a dream, I scanted more narrowly the real aspect of the building. Its principal feature seemed to be that of an excessive antiquity. The discoloration of ages had been great. Minute fungi overspread the whole exterior, hanging in a fine, tangled webwork from the eaves. Yet all this was apart from an extraordinary dilapidation. No portion of the masonry had fallen, and there appeared to be a wild inconsistency between its still perfect adaptation and the crumbling condition of the individual stones. There was much that reminded me of the spacious totality of the old woodwork which had rotted for long years in some neglected vault, with no disturbance from the breath of the external air. Beyond this indication of extensive decay, however, the fabric gave little token of instability. Perhaps the eye of a scrutinizing observer might have discovered a barely perceptible fissure which, extending from the roof of the building in front, made its way down the wall in a zigzag direction until it became lost in the sullen waters of the tarn. Noticing these things, I rode over a short causeway to the house. A servant-in-waiting took my horse, and I entered the gothic archway of the hall. A valet of a stealthy step thence conducted me in silence through many dark and intricate passages, in my progress to the studio of his master. Much that I encountered on the way contributed, I know not how, to heighten the vague sentiments of which I have already spoken. While the carvings of the ceilings, the sombre tapestries of the walls, the ebony blackness of the floors, and the phantasmagoric armorial trophies which rattled as I strode, were but matters to which, or to such as which, I had been accustomed from infancy. While I hesitated not to acknowledge how familiar was all this, I still wondered to find how unfamiliar were the fancies which ordinary images were stirring up. On one of the staircases I met the physician of the family. His countenance, I thought, wore a mingled expression of low cunning and perplexity. He accosted me with his trepidation and passed on. The valet now threw open a door and ushered me into the presence of his master. The room in which I found myself was very large and lofty. The windows were long, narrow and pointed, and at so vast a distance from the black oaken floor as to be altogether inaccessible from within. Feeble gleams of encrimsoned light made their way through trellised panes, and served to render sufficiently distinct the more prominent objects around. The eye, however, struggled in vain to reach the remoter angles of the chamber, or the recesses of the vaulted and fretted ceiling. Dark draperies hung upon the walls. The general furniture was profuse, comfortless, antique and tattered. Many books and musical instruments lay scattered about, but failed to give any vitality to the scene. I felt that I breathed an atmosphere of sorrow, an air of stern. Deep and irredeemable gloom hung over and pervaded all. Upon my entrance, Usher rose from a sofa on which he had been lying at full length, and greeted me with a vivacious warmth, which had much in it, I at first thought, of an overdone cordiality of the constrained effort of the new man of the world. A glance, however, at his countenance, convinced me of his perfect sincerity. We sat down, and for some moments, while he spoke not, I gazed upon him with a feeling half of pity, half of awe. Surely... Man had never before so terribly altered, in so brief a period, as had Roderick Usher. It was with difficulty that I could bring myself to admit the identity of the man being before me with the companion of my early boyhood. Yet the character of his face had been at all times remarkable a candaverousness of complexion, an eye large, liquid and luminous beyond comparison, lips somewhat thin and very pallid, but of a surpassingly beautiful curve, a nose of a delicate Hebrew model, but with a breadth of nostril unusual in similar formations. A finely moulded chin, speaking, in its want of prominence, of a want of moral energy, hair of a more than web like softness and tenuity. These features, with an inordinate expansion above the regions of the temple, made up altogether a countenance not easily to be forgotten. And now, in the mere exaggeration of prevailing character of these features and of the expression they were wont to convey lay so much of change that I doubted to whom I spoke. The now ghastly pallor of the skin and the now miraculous lustre of the eye above all things startled and even awed me. The silk hair, too, had been suffered to grow all unheeded, and as, its wild gossamer texture, it floated rather than fell about the face. I could not, even with effort, connect its arabesque expression with an idea of simple humanity. It was now that he spoke of the object of my visit. Of his earnest desire to see me, and of the solace he expected me to afford him. He entered, at some length, into what he conceived to be the nature of his malady. It was, he said, a constitutional and family evil, and one for which he had despaired to find a remedy, a mere nervous affection he immediately added, which would undoubtedly soon pass off. It displayed itself in a host of unnatural sensations. Some of these, as he detailed them, interested and bewildered me, although, perhaps, the terms and the general manner of the narration had their weight. He suffered much from a morbid acuteness of the senses. The most inspid food was alone endurable. He could wear only garments of certain texture. The odours of all flowers were oppressive. His eyes were tortured by even a faint light, and there were but peculiar sounds, and these from stringed instruments which did not inspire him with horror. To an anomalous species of terror I found him a bounded slave. I shall perish, said he. I must perish in this deplorable folly. Thus, thus, and not otherwise, shall I be lost. I dread the events of the future not in themselves, but in their results. I shudder at the thought of any, even the most trivial, incident which may operate upon this intolerable agitation of soul. I have, indeed, no abhorrence of danger, except in its absolute effect, in terror. In this unnerved, in this pitiable condition, I feel that the period will sooner or later arrive when I must abandon life and reason together in some struggle with the grim phantasm. Fear, I learned, moreover, at intervals and through broken and equivocal hints. Another singular feature of his mental condition. He was enchained by certain superstitious impressions in regard to the dwelling which he tenanted, and whence, for many years, he had never ventured forth. In regard to an influence whose superstitious force was conveyed in terms too shadowy here to be restated. An influence which some peculiarities in the mere form and substance of his family mansion had, by dint of long-sufferance, he said, obtained over his spirit, an effect which the physique of the grey walls and turrets, and of the dim tarn into which they all looked down, had at length brought about upon the morale of his existence. He admitted, however, although with hesitation, that much of the peculiar gloom which thus afflicted him could be traced to a more natural and far more palpable origin, to the severe and long-continued illness, Indeed, to the evidently approaching disillusion of a tenderly beloved sister, his sole companion for long years, his last and only relative on earth. Her decease, he said, with a bitterness which I can never forget, would leave him, him the hopeless and the frail the last of the ancient race of the ushers. While he spoke, the Lady Madeline, for so was she called, passed slowly through a remote portion of the apartment and, without having noticed my presence, disappeared. I regarded her with an utter astonishment, not unmingled with dread and yet I found it impossible to account for such feelings. A sensation of stupor oppressed me as my eyes followed her retreating steps. When a door, at length, closed upon her, my glance sought instinctively and eagerly to the countenance of the brother. But he had buried his face in his hands, and I could only perceive that a far more than ordinary wanders had overspread and emaciated the fingers through which trickled many passionate tears. The disease of the Lady Madeline had long baffled the skills of her physicians. A settled apathy, a gradual wasting away of the person, and frequent although transient affections of a partially catacleptic character were the unusual diagnosis. Hitherto she had steadily borne up against the pressure of her malady and had not betaken herself finally to bed, but on the closing in of the evening of my arrival at the house she succumbed as her brother told me at night with inexpressible agitation, to the prostrating power of the destroyer, and I learned that the glimpse I had obtained of her person would thus probably be the last I should obtain, that the lady, at least while living, would be seen by me no more. For several days ensuing, Her name was unmentioned by either Usher or myself and during this period I was busied in earnest endeavours to alleviate the melancholy of my friend. We painted and read together or I listened as if in a dream to the wild improvisations of his speaking guitar and thus as a closer and still closer intimacy admitted me more unreservedly into the recesses of his spirit, the more bitterly did I perceive the futility of all attempt at cheering a mind from which darkness, as if an inherent positive quality, poured forth upon all objects of the moral and physical universe in one unceasing radiation of gloom. I shall ever bear about me a memory of the many solemn hours I thus spent alone with the master of the house of Usher, yet I should fail in any attempt to convey an idea of the exact character of the studies, or of the occupations in which he involved me, or led me the way. An excited and highly distempered ideality threw a sulfurous luster over all. His long improvised disgress will ring forever in my ears. Among other things, I hold painfully in mind a certain singular perversion and amplification Of the wild air of the last waltz of Von Weber. From the paintings over which his elaborate fancy brooded, And which grew, touch by touch, Into vagueness at which I shuddered the more thrillingly, Because I shuddered knowing not why. From these paintings, vivid as their images now are before me, I would in vain endeavour to induce more than a small portion which should lie within the compass of merely written words. By the utter simplicity, by the nakedness of his designs, he arrested and outroared attention. If ever mortal painted an idea, that mortal was Roderick Usher. For me at least, in the circumstances then surrounding me, there arose out of the pure abstraction which the hypochondriac contrived to throw upon his canvas an intensity of intolerable awe, no shadow of which felt I ever yet in the contemplation of the certainly glowing yet too concrete reveries of Fuseli. One of the phantasmagoric conceptions of my friend, partaking not so rigidly of the spirit of abstraction, may be shadowed forth, although feebly, in words. A small picture presented the interior of an immensely long and rectangular vault, or tunnel, with low walls, smooth, white and without interruption or device. Certain accessory points of the design served well to convey the idea that this excavation lay at an exceeding depth below the surface of the earth. No outlet was observed in any portion of its vast extent, and no torch or other artificial source of light was discernible, yet a flood of intense rays rolled throughout and bathed the whole in a ghastly and inappropriate splendor. I have just spoken of that morbid condition of the auditory nerve which rendered all music intolerable to the sufferer with the exception of certain effects of stringed instruments. It was, perhaps, the narrow limits to which he thus confined himself upon the guitar, which gave birth, in great measure, to the fantastic characters of that performance. But the fervid facility of his impromptus could not be so accounted for they must have been, and were, in the notes, as well as in the words of his wild fantasias, for he not unfrequently accompanied himself with rhythmed verbal improvisations, the result of that intense mental collectedness and concentration, to which I have previously alluded, as observable only in particular moments Of the highest artificial excitement. One of these rhapsodies I have easily remembered. I well remember that suggestions arising from the ballad led us into a train of thought wherein there became manifest an opinion of Usher's, which I mention not so much on account of its novelty, for other men have thought thus as on account of the tenacity with which he maintained it. This opinion, in its general form, was that of the sentience of all vegetable things, but in his disordered fancy the idea had assumed a more daring character and trespassed under certain conditions upon the kingdom of inorganization. I lack words to express the full extent or the earnest abandon of his percussion. The belief, however, was connected, as I have previously hinted, with the grey stones of the home of his forefathers. The conditions of the sentience had been here, he imagined, fulfilled in the method of collocation of these stones, in the order of their arrangement, as well as in that of the many fungi which overspread them, and of the decaying trees which stood around, above all, in the long, undisturbed endurance of this arrangement, and in its reduplication in the still waters of the Tarn. Its evidence, the evidence of the sentience, was to be seen, he said, and I here started as he spoke, in the gradual yet certain condensation of an atmosphere of their own about the waters and the walls. The result was discoverable, he added in that silent, yet importunate and terrible influence, for which centuries had moulded the destinies of his family, and which made him what I now saw him, what he was. Such opinions need no comment, and I will make none. Our books, the books which, for years, had formed no small portion of the mental existence of the invalid, were, as might be supposed, in strict keeping with his character. I could not help thinking of the wild ritual of these works, and of its probable influence upon the hypochondriac, when, one evening, having informed me abruptly, that Lady Madeline was no more, he stated his intention of preserving her corpse for a fortnight, previously to its final interment, in one of the numerous vaults within the many walls of the building. The worldly reason, however, assigned for this singular proceeding was one which I did not feel at liberty to dispute the brother had been led to his resolution, so he told me, by consideration of the unusual character of the malady of the deceased, of certain obtrusive and eager inquiries on the part of her medical men, and of the remote and exposed situation of the burial ground of the family, I will not deny that when I called to mind the sinister countenance of the person whom I met upon the staircase on the day of my arrival at the house, I had no desire to oppose what I regarded as at best but a harmless and by no means an unnatural precaution. At the request of the usher, I personally aided him in the arrangements for the temporary entombment. The body having been encoffined, we two alone bore it to its rest. The vault in which we placed it, and which had been so long unopened that our torches, half smothered in its oppressive atmosphere, Gave us little opportunity for investigation, was small, damp, and entirely without means of admission for light, lying at great depth immediately beneath that portion of the building in which was my own sleeping apartment. It had been used, apparently, in remote feudal times for the worst purposes of Donjong Keep and in later days as a place of deposit for powder or some other highly combustible substance as a portion of its floor and the whole interior of a long archway through which we reached it were carefully sheathed with copper. The door of massive iron had been also similarly protected. Its immense weight caused an unusually sharp grating sound as it moved upon its hinges. Having deposited our mournful burden upon trestles within this region of horror, we partially turned aside the yet unscrewed lid of the coffin and looked upon the face of the tenant. A striking similitude between the brother and sister now first arrested my attention, and Usher, divining perhaps my thoughts, murmured out some few words which I learned that the deceased and himself had been twins, and that sympathies of a scarcely intelligible nature had always existed between them. Our glances, however, rested not long upon the dead, for we could not regard her unawed. The disease which had thus entombed the lady in the maturity of youth had left, as usual in all maladies of a strictly cataclyptic character, the mockery of a faint blush upon the bosom of her face. And that suspiciously lingering smile upon the lips, which is so terrible in death. We replaced and screwed down the lid, and, having secured the door of iron, made our way, with toil, into the scarcely less gloomy apartments of the upper portion of the house. And now, Some days of bitter grief having elapsed, an observable change came over the features of the mental disorder of my friend. His ordinary manner had vanished. His ordinary occupations were neglected or forgotten. He roamed from chamber to chamber with hurried, unequal and objectless step. The pallor of his countenance had assumed, if possible, a more ghastly hue, but the luminousness of his eye had utterly gone out. The once occasionally huskiness of his tone was heard no more, and a tremulous quaver, as if of extreme terror, habitually characterized his utterance. There were times, indeed, when I thought his unceasingly agitated mind was laboring with some oppressive secret to divulge which he struggled for the necessary courage. At times I was obliged to resolve all into the mere inexplicable vagrancies of madness, for I beheld him gazing upon vacancy for long hours, in an attitude of the profoundest attention, as if listening to some imaginary sound. It was no wonder that his condition terrified, that it infected me. I felt creeping upon me, by slow yet certain degrees, the wild influences of his fantastic yet impressive superstitions. No sooner had these thoughts passed my mind than, as if a shield of brass had indeed, at the moment, fallen heavily upon the floor of silver, I became aware of a distinct, hollow, metallic, and clangorous, yet apparently muffled reverberation. Completely unnerved, I leaped to my feet but the measured rocking movement of Usher was undisturbed. I rushed to the chair in which he sat. His eyes were bent fixedly before him, and throughout his whole countenance there reigned a stony rigidity. But, as I placed my hand upon his shoulder, there came a strong shudder over his whole person. A sickly smile quivered about his lips, and I saw that he spoke in a low, hurried and gibbering murmur, as if unconscious of my presence. Bending closely over him, I at length drank in the hideous import of his words. Not hear it. Yes, I hear it, and have heard it. Long, 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 many minutes, many hours, many days have I heard it, yet I dared not. Oh, pity me, miserable wretch that I am, I dared not, I dared not speak. We have put her in the living tomb, said I not that my senses were acute, I now tell you that I heard her first feeble movements at the hollow coffin. I heard them, many, many days ago. Yet, I dared not. I dared not speak. And now, tonight, Ethel ha ha, the breaking of the hermit's door, and the death cry of the dragon, and the clangor of the shield. Say. Rather, the randing of her coffin and the grating of the iron hinges of her prison and her struggles within the coppered archway of the vault. Oh, whither shall I fly? Will she not be here anon? Is she not hurrying to unbraid me for my haste? Have I not heard her footsteps on the stair? do I not distinguish that heavy and horrible beating of her heart? Madman, here he sprang furiously to his feet and shrieked out his syllables as if in the effort he were giving up his soul. Madman, I tell you that she now stands without the door, as if in the superhuman energy of his utterance. There had been found the potency of a spell, the huge antique panels of which the speaker pointed, threw slowly back, upon the instant, their ponderous and ebony jaws. It was the work of the rushing gust, but then without those doors there did stand the lofty and enshrouded figure of the Lady Madeline of Usher. There was blood upon her white robes, and the evidence of some bitter struggle upon every portion of her emaciated frame. For a moment she remained trembling and reeling to and fro upon the threshold, then, with a low, moaning cry, fell heavily and inward upon the person of her brother, and in her violent, And now final death agonies bore him to the floor a corpse and a victim to the terror he had anticipated. From that chamber and from that mansion I fled aghast. The storm was still abroad in all its wrath as I found myself crossing the old causeway. Suddenly... There shot along the path a wild light, and I turned to see whence a gleam so unusual could have issued, for the vast house and its shadow were alone behind me. The radiance was that of the full, setting and blood-red moon, which now shone vividly through that once barely discernible fissure. Of which I had before spoken, as extending from the roof of the building in a zigzag direction to the base. While I gazed, this fissure rapidly widened. There came a fierce breath of the whirlwind. The entire orb of the satellite burst at once upon my sight. My brain reeled as I saw the mighty walls rushing asunder. There was a long, tumultuous shouting sound, like the voice of a thousand waters, and the deep and dark tarn at my feet closed sullenly and silently over the fragments of the House of Usher.